Hi, welcome to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether it be walnut, chocolate, fruit, red velvet, cheesecake, you name it, we all love cake. And at Salisbury, we definitely use it as something to help support and unite us as a hospital. We're recording three great conversations for you today about race, religion, but the first is about sexuality. Before we get into that though, we should probably introduce ourselves. My name's Joe, and I'm the recruitment team leader here at the Trust, and my favourite cake is lemon drizzle. It's short, sharp, much like me. You said it. <laughs> I am Jane, and I am head of nursing here at the hospital for one of the clinical divisions, and my favourite cake is, uh, ooh, I'm going to go red velvet, because I think oh, it's mm-hmm. delicious, mm-hmm. very creamy, <laughs> and I think it's also a little bit naughty. Much like you, then. <laughs> yep. So listeners, in front of us, I have a selection of beautifully laid out cakes made by the lovely Jane, uh, who has been up all night baking, ready for today's uh, recording. I have uh, little small cupcakes, uh, vanilla ones, black forest ones, there's red velvet, carrot, chocolate. I've tried them all and I can assure you they're absolutely divine. Don't forget the lemon drizzle. There is also half a slab left of of a lemon drizzle cake which is yeah there's no soggy bottom and it's definitely moist and then there is a beautiful Jane do you want to talk about what this is so yeah one of our guests today told us that their favorite cake is black forest so I thought I'd challenge myself and I've made my first ever black forest gateau with the alcohol and everything included, so hopefully it'll loosen their lips and we'll get a really good conversation going. It'll loosen their lips, it'll be no good for their hips. It's three <laughs> tiers and you'd get Star Baker for that. Oh, come on. I very much appreciate Star Baker Award. <laughs> Bake off, here we come. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it then and introduce our first guests. So we're really fortunate to have with us today the Chief Executive of Salisbury District Hospital, Stacey Hunter and Chief Medical Officer Peter Collins. Now, we all know there is much more to you both than just your job titles. So, can I go to you first, Peter, and ask, tell us something about yourself that probably we wouldn't already know. I don't know whether many people would know that I'm actually a keen violin player. And I played the violin to quite high standards in orchestras and I've joined an orchestra in Salisbury, and it's the way that I... Because you have to concentrate so hard, it's a way yeah. of turning off from work. So I go, I have to turn up because it's a group activity and I can turn off from work and do something different. And what sort of music do you play in the orchestra? Classical music. Um, I play in big symphony orchestras and small chamber orchestras as well. Wow. Oh, impressive. Thank Very. you. As, it was your, as was your cake, Jane. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Over to you, Stacey. Can you tell us something about yourself that we wouldn't already know? Uh, hi, Jane. Hi, Joe. Um, well, hi. I can tell you that I can tell you that today I've got COVID, which was not the plan, was it, guys? So my apologies. No. <laughs> my apologies, first and foremost, for not being with you um, in person, but still great to be able to join you. Um, you might not know that um, I am faster in water than on land. There you go. That's that's all. That's all. That's all you're getting. Yeah, I used to do lots of swimming um, and swam for my 
county for a, a long time and still have a love of water and would and would prefer to be in the water than on land and definitely find it easier to move when surrounded by water. Okay, so today's podcast, uh, we're talking about sexuality and we are starting with um, the first sort of question really is in and around the coming out stories. Now, that's something that I have experience with. Uh, my coming out story is fairly low-key, actually, to be fair. I was 12, uh, went into my mum, which was quite an early age, gingerly sat at the end of the sofa where she was sat reading a Freeman's catalogue uh, with her reading glasses pitched on the end of her nose. And I, shaking like a leaf, I just sort of stood there and went, Mum, burst into tears. I'm gay. And I just remember her putting down the Freeman's catalogue, pushing her reading glasses up to her eyes, looking at me square in the face and going, that's lovely, dear. Now make me a milky coffee. And that's it. That's my whole coming out story. There was no hoo-ha, no celebrations. It was very much just like, it's a very small part of who you are. It doesn't define you. So yeah, my coming out story isn't one, you know, I don't think that needs to be shouted about over and over again. It's fairly low key, but I'm sure others have got different stories. So Peter, can I start with you and what your coming out story was like and your experience of that? You can, and I guess my immediate reflection to what you've just said, Joe, is that actually it is something to be celebrated that it wasn't a big deal because I guess if I think back to... So I didn't come out, if that's the word that you we, we would want to use about it, mm. till I was 32. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was all mixed up in a whole lot of things that I'm sure many people would recognise around my personal and professional identity and how I fitted in in with the people that surrounded me. And... So I didn't feel comfortable describing myself, I think, as gay until even after I came out. The story itself is... um, So I came out after I met Simon, who is now my husband, uh, back in 2002. I took him to meet my parents in a cafe over cake, interestingly, in Islington. And sort of went in and said, oh, hi, oh, by the way, I need to tell you something. I've been seeing somebody and I hadn't really had. So I'd had a couple of girlfriends, but nothing particularly serious. And it was like, oh, I'm seeing somebody. By the way, they're a man and they're outside. (laughs) Uh, And that was it, really. And how did that conversation go down? Was Was it all pleasantries? A bit like childbirth, I think. After the event, it seems like it was all fine, and I suspect it was much more traumatic at the time. For sure, for sure. Thank you. Did they expect you to come out? Had they thought maybe that might be a possibility? Do you know, that's a, I don't think I've ever really talked to... So my mother was very angry, I think, in a way that I think many many parents often are about their children. Mm. You know, that sort of, well, you should have told me, and somehow I feel not not angry at the fact, but actually angry at the, well, why didn't you tell me sooner? And, and she sort of, there was a lot of anger reflected back at me at first, I think, on that, like, you were hiding things. And I was, you know, it was very difficult to explain that I didn't feel it was hiding. I just didn't really know myself and didn't feel comfortable. So... And I think there was a lot wrapped up in the professional world. You know, doctors are a very conservative bunch, as you know. And it wasn't really until I moved to London that I was working in an environment where there were other openly gay doctors. And I thought, actually, I could maybe say this about myself and believe that about myself and to other people and not get yeah. the sack. Interesting. Interesting that it, 
you know, it took you to be in that environment before you felt sort of almost safe enough to actually effectively be comfortable with yourself. Um, Stacey, can I just ask you, you know, your, your coming out experience is slightly different to both mine and Peter's. If I can get your, your, you to touch on that for me. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, Joe, because so I wouldn't recognise coming out, to be, to be honest. <laughs> and so just for context, um, I had spent all my life kind of heterosexual. Yeah. I'd always had, you know, boyfriends, was married for 15 years. And then I met my current partner, Cornell, and was attracted to her. We ended up together. And if you like, the rest is history. We've been together for eight years now. Um, and really interestingly to this day, and um, I've talked a lot about it in this last couple of weeks in the in the run-up to our conversation today, I couldn't tell you what I define myself as and I'm not really that worried about that in the sense of I'm really clear that I'm in a loving great relationship that I want to be in I'm really clear that that's with a woman and I'm really interested that actually everybody else wants to give me a label and friends as you can imagine Joe, you mentioned banter my friends of you know add a level yeah. of intrigue a level of um, comedy a level of banter they think that I'm somehow in denial um, and, I'm, and I'm genuinely not I just find it interesting that there's this need to give a label and I haven't suffered some of the prejudices that other people have you get small things like yeah. people assume I'm literally just back from Norway as having had just a trip for Cornell's birthday and often people think you're just away with your mate or your friend yeah. and then ra- raise a bit of an eyebrow when you book in a hotel and say, do you want a double bed or do you want a twin bed? So you get a bit of that. Yeah. But to be honest, that's not, I think, as, if you like, harmful as some of the other things that, that people will have experienced. So, so, yeah, it is really different. And I guess I grew up um, in a similar to Jane's I was a nurse for the first 15 16 years of my career and did quite a lot of work with the Royal College of Nursing which is very what would be described as gay friendly it's their headquarters is called the Pink Palace so I guess I've unlike Peter I grew up in a profession that actually was very openly welcoming of people whose sexuality was different to being heterosexual um and I've got lots of friends who are not in heterosexual relationships um and I don't know if that maybe just helped orientate me a bit more the interesting thing from my family's point of view my mum for a long time would only refer to Cornell as my landlady that was quite interesting Um, and and wasn't didn't really want a conversation so if I went to articulate a conversation about it and say well you know that's not true don't you it's slightly odd and she used to come and stay with us so you know she knew it wasn't true and she just wasn't she wasn't ready in her head to have the conversation and um and I think for her she was slightly worried that I was having some sort of midlife crisis I think I think that's what she thought was going on as, as opposed to having an issue with the fact that I was with a woman I think there's that that's that age-old thing isn't there of like it's not the norm so it it takes a little bit of time to come around to that but hopefully now things are you know she's not known as your landlady anymore (laughs) no no, she's not she's known as Cornell now (laughs) good good glad there's been progress there (laughs) can I just ask Peter and Stacey is there any people that you've turned to um who you found really supportive especially during that time when you were coming out as we're using that term 
So, so for me, I think I had a couple of, of really good friends uh, who are probably the only set of lifelong friends that I still have, really, I think. Yeah. And for me, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my mother-in-law last week who, for various complicated reasons, which I'm not going to go into now, has taken a real dislike to this set of friends to such an extent that it's become a real problem. And I just sat down with her and I said, what you don't realise is that when you would have nothing to do with me and your son because we were in a relationship, they were the people who took us in and spent a lot of time with us. And that's why it's so important to me that you recognise them as our friends. And I think, you know, it is people like that that I would always turn to who understand what it was like to go through a really difficult time in my in my life personally I think so sure. you mentioned there that your mother-in-law was am I right in saying quite negative when you first got in the relationship with Simon how did you turn the corner there how did she uh, so I think it's really interesting she's a deeply I mean bless her she is a deeply conservative Austrian by background um okay. Catholic deeply religious Catholic woman so she was convinced first of all that her uh, her son a was going to be a priest, obviously. Of course, um, of course. Uh, he had a relationship with a with a girl for a long time, um, which I've got no understanding <laughs> of at all. And let's let's gloss over that. Um, <laughs> and 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 I think that she she really so, so she told him very clearly, and and his dad, who was in the army, told Simon very clearly that they would have nothing to do with him. Once he told them he was gay, and he told them when he was about 19, and this was way before I met him. Wow. And, of course, they didn't mean that at all. Uh, And so they were sort of fine, and they lived in, and he had all of these friends that would come to stay a bit like, so I was Simon's landlord for a while, and he used to insist on, he said we had to go and buy a new bed for another room and change the dining room into a bedroom just for when his mother and grandmother came to visit. And I said, I'm not doing that. You know, no. you're going to have to front up yeah. and tell them that actually there is only one bed because that's the bed that we sleep in. And and I think talking to her years later, what turned the corner? For, she was convinced that gay men were just promiscuous. And, yeah. you know, oh, really? she had grown up as we all had, you know, when you were a certain age. Joe, you won't recognise this, but, <laughs> you know, in that time of that we've all relived recently on the TV, haven't we, of, yeah. you know, of the AIDS crisis yeah. and, and, and gay men being promiscuous people that then all slept with each other and died. Rosemary, my lovely mother-in-law, you know, she had only imagined that that gay men would have brief relationships that would lead to a lot of problems. And she didn't want that for her son. And I think it was when she realised that nor did we want that for ourselves. And, you know, so Simon was the first man that I entered into a relationship with. And we are, you know, what, 20 years later, we are married. And I think that it was that that changed her mind. It was seeing that actually our relationship was no different to any other relationship that you'd had. Yeah. And what about you, Stacey? Who have you found really supportive of your time? It's a really interesting question, Jane. So I took quite a lot of care about telling my friends because I was conscious that, you know, one minute I'm in a marriage with a man and the next minute I'm telling them all that actually I'm leaving that marriage because I've met a woman. So I, I was really conscious that it was quite a lot And I guess as much as anything, I was conscious that as your lives are when you're kind of in your 
40s. Because we didn't have any children, we did a lot of things with our friends. So I was really conscious that that separation and divorce was going to put quite a lot of tension into some friendships, <laughs> as well as me me sharing some new yeah. views. So, but I classically, I've got one friend called Helen, and um, Helen is just gorgeous, and her own life has a series of little mini car crashes. Bless her, <laughs> and um, and she is the least judgmental person because of that. So she was the first person I told, and that was a very deliberate thing, almost like testing it out, because you could go to Helen and tell her anything, and it would be okay. And I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and from there, I just spoke to all of my friends, and interestingly spoke to them kind of one by one, and got all sorts of, you know, all very supportive, quite a lot of surprise for obvious reasons. And then one friend, and we um, we still laugh about it now, particularly if we've had a glass of wine, a friend called Catherine who... We went out quite a lot in our younger years because Catherine was single till she was about 35. So we used to troop around Leeds, um, usually looking for some man for Catherine. And she she kind of looked at me and said, well, are you OK? And I said, yep, yeah, no, I'm fine. It's It's all good. And then she said... I'm a bit miffed that, you know, we've been out for 15 years. You've seen me at my finest and you've never fancied me. I'm a bit, I'm a little bit miffed. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, <laughs> so, it, but, but no, they're all really supportive. Okay. And uh, Peter, if I can ask you, has your, if we're saying the word coming out, affected your experience in the workplace at all? Yes. I think I was a very... You wouldn't have liked me, Joe, I don't think, if you'd have met me as a, a young man. I was a very angry... Uh, I worked really hard, but I just there was something that wasn't quite right about the way that I worked, I think. And, and I remember I had these bosses who really liked me, and I loved working with them. And they were forever trying to find me a girlfriend and somebody <laughs> to marry. The constant excuses that you have to make about why you don't want to particularly go out with this girl or you don't want to go into that situation or you don't particularly want to go and talk over dinner with that person. So I I decided in the end to tell them not long after I met Simon, really, and they were over the moon for me, as you might expect. And it made a complete difference to the way that I was at work. I was a much more complete person. I was happier. Yeah. I was just able to be myself. And so... You know, for all those people out there that might be listening to this who who we know are working in our organisation, who, you know, and maybe it's a different time now and maybe it doesn't matter so much, but if they do feel any sort of concern about what it means to be a gay person in the workplace, then I'd want them to seek help either from us or elsewhere, really. I agree. Thank you. And what about you, Stacey? has coming out affected you in the workplace at all? Not really, Joe. And I've thought a lot about this. I did when, so for example, when I was checking out the Salisbury job, I, I did make it really clear in the kind of informal parts of the process, particularly with the chairman, so with Nick and others, that my partner was female. So probably yeah. to the extent where he kept thinking, why do you keep telling me that, Stacey? <laughs> so that kind of informal checking out, is this going to be okay? Because if it's not okay for the chair or, you know, your colleagues, Correct. then it's not, a, it's not a place I would have been prepared to come. But I've not, no, I've been lucky, I think, in that I've not 
faced overt prejudice to my knowledge I've definitely seen it for other people and interestingly and I know that I know it's not a podcast about um, gender but I've actually I've <laughs> actually had more prejudice about being female than I have about being in a relationship really? with a female so th- so the NHS mm. for a long time has been white male and very suity um, and if you've not fitted that mold then you know I would argue it's been slightly harder to progress now I say that I say from a position of great privilege and I've been very lucky I've got and had a brilliant career but I've known men have a much easier time (laughs) Um, and that's 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 not because I've not worked with some amazing men I have I've got you know we've got some great male colleagues but that is that I've experienced more of that and I guess that's because you know I've been female for all of my working life as opposed to being in a relationship with a woman for only a really small part of my working life actually I think there is a real danger though isn't there that you know that Stacey and I can sit here and people will think well you know you've clearly had lives where that hasn't been a problem for you and I think it's really important for me to tell my story which is not the same as Stacey's so I have had discrimination in the workplace yeah. so I've been for two jobs where it's been made very clear to me and and I, I it resonates with what Stacey says about that soft signaling that gay people have to do when they go for jobs where it is like a mini coming out of when are you going to tell the people who you're going to work for that you are married to somebody of the same sex or you're living with somebody of the same sex or attracted to somebody of the same sex and gauge what their reaction to that is and yeah. so so I know that I went for a job where I was judged in a way for what I was wearing, which was a very odd thing, uh, particularly as what they thought I was wearing was uh, was not something that I'd ever owned. Okay. Uh, and it was really a label for being gay. Yeah. And, and I went for a job where I said, I'm in a gay relationship, will that make a difference? And the person who was a really nice person whose brother was gay said, yes, it will. Mm. Uh, he said, I'll, I'll try and support you, but it will make a difference. And I've also worked in an environment where it was a very male-dominated environment where being different was not considered to be a good thing. And I would say that in the environment that I work in now, in our organisation, we have such a, a board that is led by a diverse group of people who really allow everybody to bring their whole selves to work. Yeah. And what an enormous difference it makes to your ability to change people's lives yeah. and to change our patients' lives. So... I love working here and it is in a large part, sorry, I'm going to finish Joe because it's a nice, in a large part to Stacey and I think the approach that she brings to the organisation, but also to our chair and non-executives who employed her. Thank you both for being so open and honest with us today. We really do appreciate it and I, I, I think you will definitely inspire people out there who, like you said, might feel a bit scared and you'll give those individuals hope that they will be accepted for every part of them not just the part they wish to show so it is called cake with joe and jane we can't leave without asking the most important question of the day i'll start with peter what is your favorite cake and why so i've mentioned that my husband and his family are austrian and so i end up with uh, a black forest gatto which i know is not austrian is german but is is near enough and it is the favorite cake of the austrians apart from sakatol which is vile so uh, that's why forest sweet uh, creamy with a cherry on the top just like myself <laughs> i was just saying describe it yourself there. <laughs> I, 
And Stacey, what's your favourite cake oh, and why? Oh, God. I, I don't do favourites, Jane. I'm, <laughs> I find it really difficult because I'm a massive um, variety, give me everything sort of person. But if you really press me, I would say either coffee and walnut and or lemon drizzle. Wise choices. But, you know... Almost all of the cakes are welcome. <laughs> well, we've got loads here that we need to actually get on and eat, I think. Plenty to go around. Thanks so much for listening to the first episode of The Cake and to Peter and Stacey for taking time with their busy schedules to record with us today. We've got two more brilliant conversations coming up for you. One covering the topic of race and place and then the final one will cover faith at work. If you have a moment, we'd really recommend that you check them out. And I know Joe has put a lot of graft in to get these done for us today. So he really wants you to listen. I really do. So on that note, fancy a slice? Let's do this. Let's eat.